welcome to the XY Advisor podcast. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. This episode is proudly sponsored by Integrity Life. Just like XY Advisor, Integrity isn't afraid to push for positive change in our industry, especially when it comes to the cost of life insurance. Right now, many Australians are underinsured, but Integrity is working to change all that with sustainable pricing and discounts that last as long as the policy. Next time you need a quote, why not give Integrity a try? Head to integritylife.com.au forward slash XY. Hey, how's it going? What do you know? Struggle like Clayton here from XY, chatting with Catherine Morgan all the way over in the UK from the Money Panel. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Hey, Clayton. Oh, great to uh, great to be here this morning. This is my first international podcast of the year, so very exciting. Yeah, of the year, <laughs> of the year. I thought you were about to say of ever, but then, of course, Fraser Jack, as he always does, he always gets the scoop on me, and I know that you guys have had a conversation prior. But regardless, this is definitely <laughs> somehow going to be better. <laughs> And um, Kate Holmes, actually. I've been on Kate's amazing. Oh, I, know you, I know she's a regular on your podcast. Yes, too. yes. A bit she, of a shout out to Kate too. A huge shout out to Kate. Uh, yeah, she helped uh, actually wrap up the year. She's got such a great brain. Um, the way that she thinks about things, especially from a global level, I think um, really unique sort of view, especially with her background. But as your, so, so the, I was actually attracted to your work, just, you know, our, our old friend, the LinkedIn is watching what you were saying and watching what you were writing and we were able to connect there. And I wanted to ask, you know, the money panel, it's obviously you're a financial planner, uh, but you also have experienced, I would say a level of success in this, you know, you like a lot of good financial planners, you go down a route, right? You, you, you sort of go, right, this is how I'm going to start delivering financial advice. And then you've parlayed that into uh, something else as well. So you, you do behavioral uh, uh, coaching um, and, and you teach other advisors. So I'm, I'm interested to see, is the money panel the same business or is it two sides of the business or uh, how does it work? Yeah. So, um, the money panel, I was created just under five years ago and initially I set it up because I was a frustrated financial advisor. Hmm. I was, um, I'd left the bank. I'd worked for, uh, banks for 17 years and there's a bit of a story to that. I'll maybe share that with you in a moment. But I was I was a frustrated financial advisor and I left the banking sector and I went to work for a financial advisor practice at IFA in the UK and continued to be frustrated. Yeah. And I set up the money panel really as a blog. Initially, I just started writing about my own experiences, my own money story, because I had a huge amount of um, shame, guilt, judgment, lack of self-worth around money growing up. And I started writing about it and I started a Facebook group. And uh, 10 years prior to that, I actually created a side hustle, which was as a personal stylist, and which is part of my story. I'll share with you in a second. Wow. And I, uh, so 10 years ago, I was on Facebook. I was um, selling products online. I built websites. I, you know, I learned a lot around marketing around that time. And I kind of used that in the money panel initially, started just talking and writing about money. And so I formed this Facebook group and very quickly started to get other women that would be like, yeah, that's me. I was an emotional spender and I lived in debt and shame and guilt and judgment. And, 
And they wanted to know how I managed to get myself out of £30,000 worth of debt. And, um, and I very openly talked about the fact that I was a financial advisor and I felt really shameful that I was giving advice to other people about how to manage money, but I wasn't following the plan myself because of my behaviours and my beliefs around money. And that's how the business started. And we then, over a course of a number of years, we, we built digital courses, memberships, um, masterminds. Uh, we launched our podcast over eight, or actually two two years ago this month, and it's now in the top one percent of global podcasts. And we just we just loved helping women to have a better relationship with money. And I basically studied every book on the planet. I did a various number of training courses. I uh, qualified in financial coaching. Um, I did NLP, which is neuro linguistic programming. Uh, I did trauma of money programs, learning more about financial trauma. So I just saturated myself with as much knowledge as I possibly could and continue to do so today. And that's kind of how the business started. And what happened is that I was, um, I I actually, how long ago was it now? It would have been, uh, I would say maybe four years ago, I, I found, I stumbled upon Next Gen Planners, which are an organization which I know you guys are familiar with in the UK, which is a bunch of incredible forward thinking, very collaborative financial planners. And they saved, I would say actually saved my life because at that time I was ready to walk away. And I remember saying to Adam Carolan, one of the co-founders, what can I do? I don't, I can't work in this practice anymore because they were just swooping stuff under the carpet. Um, so I need to either find a new home or leave the profession and go to and emigrate to Australia because I've got family <laughs> who live over here. Um, and that and and he was like, right, you need to speak to this guy. You need to speak to this person. You need to speak to this person. And so I found a new home as a financial planner. And I then started to kind of incorporate planning and coaching together. And that's where this just golden sweet spot just appeared where I was like, wow, if I can help women to have a better relationship with money and then put the plan in place, then it will stick and they'll feel better. They'll do better. They'll have better. And that kind of progressed over a few years. And then last year during lockdown, we kind of had, we had a lot of financial advisors coming to us and say, look, how do you do this? I'm seeing you all over social media. I can see the kind of results you're getting for people. I want to bring this into my practice. So we launched a financial coaching certification program last year where we now teach financial advisors how to incorporate coaching into their businesses. So that's kind of a whistle-stop tour of what yeah, the money panel yeah. is there to achieve. That's cool. Um, I'm so stoked to hear the good work that NextGen Planners has such a positive impact because, and, and, and Adam as well, uh, one of the most kindest gents I've ever met in my life, actually. Yeah. I can't speak highly enough of of him and the company and um, and to hear that you've sort of found what it was to provide good advice from that community over there is, is just music to my ears. Like that's, you know, that's the entire reason that even XY exists. Um, and so, uh, so when you found the next gen guys and, and you were deciding at that point that, you wanted to take advice into a different direction. Were you already doing the NLP and were you already doing, were you already diving into that or, or was this sort of a moment in time where you said, actually, I need to dive into all of this. So was it a, was your 
progression into behavioral coaching, even a side interest before it became a conscious focus? Yeah, I, I, what's interesting for me and what I'm really curious to is that where I've changed my own relationship with money, I've learned these skills and tools and, and completely transformed my own financial situation. But I didn't really know what it was, if that makes sense. I was kind of doing all this behavior work and, and I was doing a lot of self-reflection. I was really exploring um, you know, the patterns of language around what I was telling myself, my money narratives. But I didn't really knew, I didn't know that it existed. And then suddenly when I started to frame together like what I'd done to change my situation, and I was thinking, okay, so I had to change what I was telling myself and look at what my parents told me about money and actually look at the intergenerational patterns around wealth. Then I was kind of exploring how I could put my money in pots so I could kind of give myself permission that it was okay to spend this amount of money without any guilt or shame. And it was okay to have this amount of money for this and being very proactive, not reactive. And I track my money every day, every day. And I still do this today. Every day I track what money comes in. So I'm very much expressing my gratitude for having wealth and keeping it because that was the struggle for me is that I would receive money quite easily. I'm quite a manifester, but then I would get rid of it as quickly as possible. And actually it came back to quite a core belief, several beliefs actually, but one of them was when I was about eight years old, my dad used to take me to the bank in town and um, he would pay money into our account every weekend. And he was a business entrepreneur. So we would walk down into the town, he would bank his money and we would give hand over this like little passbook to the cashier. And I still remember now the sound of the printer on the you know, the ink cartridge printing this little book. And it was the following year I went into the bank by myself. Um, and I think I was with my mom. Uh, this was in the days where you didn't really care where your children were in town. Like they could freely wander with, <laughs> without any fear that something was going to happen to them. And I remember going into the bank and giving my passbook over. And when I received it back, the balance was zero. And I remember thinking, where's all my money gone? And I was so afraid to ask. I didn't ask anybody. And the belief that I carried, I found out later what had happened to the money. But as a child at that age, what my, the story that I told myself was someone's taken my money I've got to spend it before somebody else does. And so when I had my first job, when I was, I think I was 14, 15, was on an asparagus farm. It was the most horrific job ever. It was like in the depths of the UK winter, it was freezing cold. I still remember my hands getting, you know, bitterly cold from hacking away at these different, and grading them like first class and second class asparagus spears. And um, I remember receiving five pounds, like a bonus if it was really good pickings. And... I remember vividly thinking, I've got to get rid of this as quickly as possible because otherwise somebody else is going to spend it for me. And just exploring these patterns of behaviors really made me realize, oh, okay, so I need to change these narratives. I need to change the meaning that I attach to that experience. And as I was going through this process, then I was thinking, oh, this is actually quite similar to NLP. This is similar to cognitive behavioral therapy. And then I was exploring financial um, therapy and financial psychology. And it just kind of all naturally came together, I suppose, because I was going through that process myself. And this is one of the things that we teach now in our training program is that we want financial advisors to go through the process themselves. Mm -hmm. And 
it's been absolutely incredible. Some of the, the stories that financial advisors tell themselves about money and those biases can actually have quite a big impact unknowingly on the client meeting. Hands down. Because unknowingly, we can sit there and agree and go, yeah, I don't think you should take that much risk. Or, yeah, you know, um, I, I was the same when I had an inheritance. Or, you know, yeah, money doesn't grow on trees. I heard that growing up. And you, yeah, of course, you have to work hard. You can't run a business without working hard. You know, we, we have these biases where we make agreements or disagreements with our clients. And that can have an impact on the decisions that they then go on to make. Oh, definitely. Um, subconsciously or consciously, definitely advisors are leading their clients down paths. And the healthier that your financial planner has with a relationship with money in their own life can only have a positive impact upon the client for nothing else than just simply the advisor wouldn't be putting their own biases on to the client, as you mentioned. Um, it's kind of interesting in terms of financial planning, because there used to be a lot of value associated with getting things done, like, oh, they've opened up an account and, oh, there's a, you know, this set of investments is the investments that's going to blow you out of the water. You know what I mean? And I guess over time, a lot of the mystique around that has been reduced. And then especially with this latest round of FinTech, a lot of this stuff has now been made easy, but it's certainly not like, that stuff's not important. And so making sure that the, the, you know, the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted is ticket to the game. So you have to, you have to know what you're talking about in terms of numbers better than your client. That, that goes without saying. And, and you have to be doing everything in terms of a compliance uh, regime to make sure that they end up with the best financial outcome, even if you were a robot and you didn't offer anything else, right? But I think that a huge, if not the, I would, I would probably at this stage call, call it the majority. Let's call it at least 51%. That would be my sort of, you know, finger in the air uh, litmus test. I would say that helping clients improve their relationship with money and make better decisions on a day-to-day basis produces better long-term outcomes. It, yeah, it, it does because really the client has two main challenges. It's how they feel and how they behave. And if a client feels that they're not good enough, then they fear they won't have enough. And this fear of not enoughness is really strong with most clients. You know, most of us will want to know that we will be financially secure, that we'll be financially safe. Mm. And that's what's really interesting about the stories that we tell ourselves about money is that the, the brain's main purpose is to keep us safe. And that's why we tell ourselves stories, even as children, you know, and, and I know, Case, and you have children too, you know, it's children love to see and hear stories. That's the brain learns through stories. And so all of these stories and narratives that we've learned growing up about, around money create this blueprint of how we operate and how we feel about money. And if we feel that we aren't good enough or we won't have enough, then that will prevent us from taking risks, for example, when we know we need to be taking risks. And so the, the, those are the two biggest challenges for our clients. And when their behaviors are not aligned, then they self-sabotage, they don't follow the plan, um, or there's some resistance to the financial plan that we've created. They make poor decisions or they don't make any decisions at all. And then finally is that they, they focus very much on coming away from pain rather than towards pleasure. Yeah. So what's a really yeah. interesting 
concept is that most people set their financial goals around coming away from pain. Like, I don't want to be poor because my parents were poor. Or I don't want to be stuck in this job working 70 hours a week because I don't want to work hard to make money. They're coming away from pain. And that's all good for short-term motivation. But we're helping clients to find that intrinsic, deep-rooted internal motivation will actually really help them to be clear on their financial goals. I mean, how many clients, when you say to them, what do you want to do in retirement? They're like, I have no idea. Yeah. When do you yeah. want to retire? I have no idea. They, they, yeah. it, that yeah. concept of retirement is so aged. You know, it's we need to change the language and change the, the curiosity and the, and the types of questions that we're asking clients so that we can really help them to find their financial values. And the best way to do that is to look at a client's bank statement, right? The best way to understand what your financial values are even as a financial advisor, is to look at your bank statements and look at what are you spending? Because a lot of what we spend is what we seek. What we spend is what we seek. Mm. And what we give is what we value. You know, often what we give away, if we give away our time, we value time. If we give away gifts, we value gifts. Um, You know, it's, it's looking at those behaviors and what sits behind the behaviors, the stories, the messages, the beliefs, um, because actually we can change experiences by changing the meaning. Um, we can't change the past, but we can change the meaning that we're attaching to those experiences. Um, yeah, yeah. And if we can help clients with those two challenges, they'll stick to the plan. They'll follow your plan. They'll follow your advice. Um, they'll be less resistant. They'll take more risks. They'll feel more comfortable at times when the markets are going crazy. They'll feel more comfortable when um, an emergency happens and, you know, they have to use some of their cash. Some of, you know, some of them, the fact of just even using some of their cash, they're like, no, I can't touch that because that's my safety part. And, you know, and it, and it makes them feel unsafe yes, because of the messages and the beliefs that they are telling themselves about the meaning and the purpose of money. Yeah, the way that you're articulating all of this stuff, it's on that cutting edge uh, of, I guess, the journey that, you know, here at XY, we've been trying to figure out how, how to articulate what else beyond traditional financial planning can an, an advisor deliver. And kind of the interesting thing that I'm finding with, with you is that a lot of people talk about uh, frameworks, but it's, and, and you can get a lot done with frameworks. And I'm a huge fan of, of frameworks, but you're using language that, if I was uh, uninitiated into this concept of financial planning, um, I'd be pretty scared of it. However, you do have a framework around this. And that's what I, I kind of find pretty interesting is because a lot of people talk about that. There's, there's financial therapy, there's that. And then there's, um, there's a whole, there's a whole range of things, but you're sort of mishmashing a lot of stuff into this, uh, this singular um, training course. So I'm interested, can you tell me a little bit about how long it goes for, you know, what do people learn? Yeah. And, and how is the course delivered? Yeah. And, and just to first of all acknowledge what you just said there about like that fear of, well, that seems like great, but like, how do you even use that in financial planning? And the first thing I think is to differentiate between coaching and therapy because therapy is very, you know, it's helping clients with their financial past. You know, it's, it's helping them to unpick some trauma, perhaps that's that's underlying in some of their beliefs. And 
that does come up and we we do actually teach people in the program what to do in that situation you know if something comes up and we know it's related to trauma or there's some red flags there then we help advisors to um explore how they can deal with that and you know have maybe a, a point of reference or somebody that they can refer to but financial coaching is very centered around the future so we do dive into a client's patterns of beliefs and things that they heard, you know, in their childhood, because that's when we establish our relationship with money. We establish our relationship with money by the age of seven. So we do have to bring some curiosity to that age. And there can be some like little T's and big T's, little traumas and big traumas. And we help clients <laughs> navigate how to deal with those. But really financial coaching is about understanding how we can help change a client's future. So it's very future focused and coaching in its purity is very much about helping the client to come up with the solution. And what you're really doing is aiding a, a positive, safe space for them to have that conversation. And this is where the framework of our program is very much, we, you learn, you learn the knowledge first and then you apply it and then you practice it. So it's like learn, apply, practice. And during that practice process, there are some advisors that will very quickly just go and take those tools that we use and, go and have these conversations with clients. And we've had so many examples where we had one lady called Jess who did our first cohort last year. And she had a couple that she'd looked after for many, many years. And she'd always see the, the partner and actually that it was the, the wife that she'd always see. And the guy, the husband would be off on the golf course and she would never be able to really kind of get him into the meeting, present in the meeting. And actually often it's the other way around, right? Um, it tends to be historically more the man that deals with the money rather than the woman. Women, women are generally happier and content to deal with the household purse, but not with wealth creation. And so she picked up the phone and said, look, I've, I'm going through this training program. I'm really curious to explore your relationship with money and help you stick to your plan. That's kind of the way that she positioned it. And he came to this meeting. And at the end of that meeting, he said to her, wow, that was the best meeting I've ever had. When is the next one? Oh. And she was so blown away with the yeah. fact that she'd been able to really hook on to something that was of interest to him that was going to change something that he was struggling with. So she you know, used that hook to explore, you know, well, I keep asking you to spend more money. I keep asking you to make that will. I keep asking you to take more risks. And there's some, there's some challenge there. Can, can we explore this together? And so the, the way that the program is designed is that we teach the knowledge first and then uh, we, we help the advisors to implement that training live. So it's all run on Zoom, it's all online and we facilitate breakout rooms in the cohorts. So by the end of the 12, it's a 12 week program for the initial step. And by the end of that 12 weeks, there's been some amazing relationships that have been built in the community. We have like a WhatsApp um, kind of chat uh, that's connected to the to the program and then they go into like pure practice so they just show up every two weeks and they go into their triads they play the role of a coach a client and an observer and actually the observer role is one of the favorites it's you know when you can actually look at how other people are doing it and how other people are asking those questions and they're like furiously writing down, oh, what a great question to ask. And then they're giving feedback. It, it's like a, it's just a very peer to peer approach. It's very, you know, very um, safe. It's very much based on community. 
And at the end of that, that's when they get their certification. So for us, it's a, you know, it isn't a fast program because we don't want to just give people a title for the sake of giving titles. We really want to create professional standards around financial coaching. And we've actually got something coming uh, next month, which we'll be able to share shortly around how we're actually trying to support globally some standards around financial coaching. But that's the framework. So it's a 12-week program, pure practice, and then they get the certification at the end. Wow. So if I was a, an advisor, you know, coming out of, cause I came out of tax accounting and then I got really involved in sort of legislative type of financial planning. Uh, and then, and then went into a sales based role for about 12 months before uh, eventually it's kind of weird. I didn't do sales, Like sales was the last thing I learned <laughs> in financial planning. Um, uh, and then a lot of this stuff took me, a long time to figure out. And, and the, the whole reason why I went down this path was because a client said to me once, uh, thank you for setting up, you know, my retirement funds and my insurances and my investments, which all typically are long-term in nature. He goes, but what can you do to help me now? And I was absolutely gobsmacked by that question mostly because out of all the years that I'd been in the personal finance realm, no one had ever taught me <laughs> how to answer the question. I, I was sitting there self-employed by that stage and that most basic of questions floored me um, to the point that I you know, spent kind of the next three years deep diving into what ended up being like a lifestyle and financial framework but it's awesome to see someone like yourself who's done that, but then has the ability to then teach others. <laughs> like I, 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 I never got to that stage. Um, by that time, I'd, I'd sort of decided that as much as I love financial planning, that I'll, I'll sidestep it for at least a little while. I always half think I'll go back into it. It's kind of, it's very alluring, um, <laughs> but I've, 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 as yet, I, uh, I haven't relicensed myself. But it's it, this type of, of financial advice. It's the kind of advice that's not wanted by everyone that's out there, but it's wanted by a segment of the market that has never been serviced. So everyone, everyone up until relatively recent who w- was paying for financial advice received, call it right brain financial advice. It was bam, 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 bam still super valuable. And I don't think it's going anywhere. And I don't think those clients are going anywhere. And I don't think those financial planners are going anywhere. However, there was this whole, if you want to call it left side of the brain, financial advice, which has a huge market that had just never been serviced. And so all these clients who should have been getting financial advice were talking to an advisor and they were saying, Hey, you know, uh, I can help you get 7%, you know, in, to withdraw down on retirement to save you running out of money when you retire and 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 draw down until you're 95. And that that's great. There's definitely people who want that and there's definitely people who can give that. But there's also there's people who are walking and saying, actually, they wouldn't even be able to articulate that they had shame around money. But uh, uh, like a lot of this stuff is subconscious in nature and they just know that there's a problem. They know that they need help. But traditionally, financial planners, although perfectly positioned, 
to help them in this haven't had the skill sets to do that. And it's yeah, that that's exactly it. It's it's that gap, isn't it? It's that gap of knowledge of 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 skills to be able to help clients because actually sometimes um, and I'm sure anyone listening to this can think of an example of a client situation where the client said something like, oh, I can't possibly take any risks. Or my dad said that pensions were bad. And I'm, I, I, actually, I don't want to talk about pension wrappers. Yeah. We hear these things, but we're like, oh, God, how do I deal with that? That's way too difficult. I'm just going to park that and I'm just going to carry on with my fact find because that's what we want, we're here to do today. You know, like I totally get it. I've, I've been in that situation. Um, but I also think that there is an opportunity. I don't think the financial coaching is uh, just to fit the mass market, the, the advice gap. I, I do think that financial coaching and financial education can be used to fill that advice gap beautifully. And financial coaching um, is a great tool to use if you're wanting to work with groups of people. Mm. And many of the financial advisors that have been through our program um, have actually started the program thinking I'm going to incorporate this into my practice. And many of them are. Some of them are now thinking, do you know what? This is amazing. I just want to do this. I'm just going to completely deregulate and just focus on financial coaching. Some of them are kind of wanting to do a bit of both. You know, it, it's that's the beauty of financial coaching and planning and advice is that it comes together in so many different ways. I don't think there's any kind of cookie cutter approach to this. But at the core of everything is that every single person makes decisions around money. And that's 90% based from our unconscious mind. 90% of the decisions that we make come from our unconscious mind. And what I mean by unconscious mind are things that we're not necessarily aware of at the conscious level. If you imagine like an iceberg, all the decisions that we make that we can see through our behaviors sit above the surface but it's all the stuff that sits underneath the surface that's the gold you know and if we can un unpick some of that almost like gently melt that up to the surface and explore that um you know through using some very clever tools and techniques then then you can you know you can still let them sit under the surface we're not we're not going into therapy but we can really help them to bring those to the surface and then change and morph. And, you know, you, you, I'm just kind of playing with an iceberg theory here now, um, you know, but it's, you can help to change the client's behaviors and, and actually a client's behaviors are very obvious, right? We, we don't know what a client's telling themselves about money. We don't know what meaning they're attaching, but we can see it in their behaviors. And if you can see it in their behaviors and it's in it's self-sabotaging them in some way, they're the kind of clients you want to explore financial coaching with and behavioral coaching. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, I'd love to know how you use it in your practice. Yeah, so we use it in two different ways. So I happen to run a completely separate financial coaching business, which is the Money Panel. And my personal brands, we do a lot of digital courses and, and trainings uh, en masse. Uh, so with lots of people together. Now, there's a few reasons why we do that. One is because the power of women coming together um, to talk about money is incredible um, because when they can hear somebody else sharing a story or hear that somebody else has got guilt and shame or hear that somebody else has been through a divorce and, and that's had an implication on how they deal with money, you know, it's that kind of collaborative approach. So that's the main reason why we do it in groups. The other reason is because our mission is to equip and prepare a million women to be financially resilient. Now, we can't do that with just working with one-to-one -one clients. So that's why we chose that business model. But for many advisors, including myself in the financial planning space, then 
we just bring it in as part of the process. We have it as a value add. We have it as a, a separate um, service within the business. So we don't force it upon every single client. Um, we don't say you have to go through this process. And I know some advisors do, and that's also perfectly fine. It very much depends on your niche, right? If the, the more niche you are with your client base, the more you can decide whether financial coaching is right, the more you can decide what value adds would be right for your particular client. And I know that might be challenging for some advisors listening to this because maybe they're not super niche. Maybe they're just quite broad financial planners and that's okay too. But you'll, you'll have a bit of a difficult, more difficult job, I guess, trying to then understand, okay, so is it right for Mr. and Mrs. Smith? Is it right for Mr. and Mrs. Jones? It's then about just listening to the client's language in the client meeting. And when those resistances come up, if you've got those talk, you know, those kind of toolkits in your bag, so to speak, then you can bring in coaching as part of the journey. And it might be that you bring it in as part of the risk conversation. You might bring it in as part of the the conversation where they're not just not sticking to the plan and they're coming back in for their review meeting and they're still not doing the thing that you've asked them to do. And in in that situation, you might sort of say to them, well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm also qualified as a financial coach. I'd really like to explore what's the resistance here for you. So I can help you to change that. Would that be something you'd be interested in? And then you can kind of bring that in, but the, but the change work has to come from the client. It's not our responsibility to say to the client, oh, well, you shouldn't think that about money or don't be ridiculous. You can make money without working hard. Like we can't tell the client that. Could you imagine? (laughs) That's ridiculous, mate. Get out of my office. Why are you even my client? Oh my God. (laughs) It it sounds like comical, doesn't it? But you'll be really surprised that when we go through the training program and uh, we do a reflective exercise. So we ask the, the, the advisor, to act in their capacity as a coach. And it's quite, it's quite funny actually, because the client will say something like, oh yeah, so my dad told me that money doesn't grow on trees and he worked so hard, but then he went bankrupt. And I've got this massive fear that, you know, that if I don't work hard, that's going to happen to me. And the advisor as the coach will say, wow, that's really curious. I'm really curious to this. So tell me a bit more then about what working hard means to you. Or what did you learn from that experience? Or something like that um, they'll pick out a word that the clients used, like I've got this fear. Tell me a bit more about that fear. Um, and and they'll, they'll just reflect the client's language back to them. But before they learn how to do that, what will happen is they'll say something like, oh, yeah, that happened to me as well. Yeah, my dad was a hard worker. And, um, and you know, they'll, they'll, they'll go into a dialogue, into a conversation, which is great for rapport building, but it actually yeah. doesn't do anything with that information it doesn't help the client to unpick any of that to think about well is it actually really true where is the evidence to support the belief that you have to work hard for money and they'll sit there and be like and i think that's been the huge problem with financial planning in general and and the problem that financial planners have experienced which is We've been sitting, and I say us collectively, we've been sitting in front of people for nearly 50 years at this stage talking about money. And and that com- that exact conversation has come up millions of times. And we've all sat there and gone, well, I don't know what to do about that. So, <laughs> you know, how's, how good's retirement? And and and, and so um, it's it's really, uh, I, I'd say it's, it's, it's heartening to hear that, um, Somewhat, you know, we're not, we've moved and because we've been doing this podcast now for like five years 
And, and uh, it's great to, to see the conversation get to a point where you're not just talking about it anymore. It's like, Hey, this, this is how you can put this tool in your toolkit. And I think that's a, that's a pretty exciting thing. So for the advisors that are listening out there, you know, how do they find out more about what it is that you do and how do they sign up if they're interested, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we're actually, we're in the process of putting together some resources for financial advisors who are interested in this kind of um, this toolkit, so to speak. Um, and we have actually had some Australian uh, financial planners already complete our program. So we've actually changed the timings specifically now for our cohorts. We've moved it from like a lunchtime slot to a morning slot. So it accommodates the Australians. Cool. So we're very welcoming uh, for, for some more Australians to come uh, and, uh, and become a certified financial coach. And uh, so if you go to the website, themoneypanel.co.uk and click on the financial coaching training tab, um, there's some information on there. Our next cohort starts in April 2021, if you're listening to this in the future. Um, and we tend to run them two or three times a year, uh, all online. Um, and yes, all in a very Australia-friendly time zone times. <laughs> awesome. How good is that? Well, uh, look, I'm so glad that, um, you know, we, I reached out on, on LinkedIn and, and, and thanks for finding the time. I know you were quite busy late last year, but we were able to, this is my, you know, first, uh, my first first podcast for the year let alone international podcast hey. for um so thank you so much for helping us kick off 2021 it's great to chat and um yeah i'm super excited to see where this goes in the future so thank you Catherine. oh thanks so much for having me it's been a pleasure